0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, join me and just go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. We're going to be kind of bouncing around, but you, I just, that's the, really the one I'd want you to stay at tonight. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. Talking about real Christianity uh, and what does it mean to have and follow the Holy Spirit. And in fact, this uh, series tonight comes in part, I, I'm getting the theme. I don't normally follow a book. Uh, when I preach, but I've been impacted by this book uh, in my personal devotional time. I'm going to bring some of the themes out of it into our Sunday night series. This is a book written in the 1600s, by the way, uh, by Henry Scogel. And it was a gift that Charles uh, Wesley uh, gave to George Whitfield. And it, I don't know if you know those names or not, but you know Wesley, the Methodist, Uh, movement, and George Whitfield was one of the greatest American evangelists ever uh, in the history of our country, way before Billy Graham, Uh, and he would get saved after reading this book, and from him and some of the most powerful messages uh, that had ever been preached on the shores of America that day would spark what we would call the Great Awakening in America, where the 13 colonies, all 13 colonies, uh, would break out in a mass revival, unpublicized not campaigned, not through any work of man, but simply people would be emptying bars in the streets getting saved. People for miles around would come to hear uh, George Whitfield preach. In fact, they said the dust of the trail of the horse and buggies would just go on for miles of all the people drawing in, and there would be mass conversions uh, in in a way that really has rarely been seen uh, in America. Uh, And this book was a part of that. And I've been reading it and just impacted by it. Uh, And not so much the book itself, because it's all based on Scripture, but just simply how do we receive all that God really has for us? And uh, some of you guys, you ever had that uh, gone to somewhere and someone tried to give you something fake? For instance, for me, it is if you go to a restaurant and you say, hey, uh, I'd like a, a Dr. Pepper, and they say, oh yeah, sure, thank you, and then they bring it out, and you taste it, and you're like, wait a minute, this is not Dr., oh, it's Mr. Pibb. it's the same thing, and then I, as a Dr. Pepper fanatic, would say, no, 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 ma'am, I'm sorry, I cannot drink this, it's not Dr. Pepper, but it is, it's an off, you know, but it's not, because I've tasted of the real thing, ma'am, and it's not really Dr. Pepper, how many know what I'm talking about, right, you could try, all. And there's my, my buddy in the back, Dr. Pepper fans, right here, uh, and you know what the real deal is, right? I want to be a Christian who people look at and say, that is the real deal. I want to have tasted of God in such a real way that I can never be satisfied with anything less. And that is the journey I want us to go on over the next several weeks uh, in our church because Several months back, I'll just be honest, several months back, we had, we helped host a LaSalle Parish Crusade, uh, and we had 1,200 people come out on the last night. Uh, And over that week, 243 people would get saved or rededicated. But as I was excited about that, and it was never before done, and we had great testimony of churches coming together in a way we've never done before, and believing God's going to do some great things. At the same time, as I was in that, that, gymnasium and looking around my heart was also breaking for the status of our community when so many people would profess God yet I could sense in the room very few really knew him you could sense it in the atmosphere of worship. You could sense it in the, the response to the word. And, and many people came down, many people who profess Christianity. Most of the people had come down. They they'd probably professed it in their home church, but most of the ones came down were professing Christians. And, and I know that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more should have responded. And I want to see us as a church in this community, in the Bible Belt of America. That somebody has got to be the real deal, and other people begin to taste it and say, that is better than what I've been drinking. That's our call. That's where I want us to go as a church. Somebody's got to be the real thing. And, and as, as we go through this, there's three questions we want to ask. And this is number one, is what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? For instance, is it is it our doctrine? Is it our understanding? Is it our denomination? Is it the actions and duties? Is it the moral standards I take? Is it the traditions? Even Is it the do's and don'ts? Is being a Christian not drinking? Is it being a Christian not cursing? Is being a Christian doing the do's? Is it being a Christian paying my tithes, going to church, being a small group leader, uh, being on the worship team? Is that is that Christianity... Does do we measure it by that that way? Is it the feelings, maybe even of salvation? Is it the feelings of uh, uh, God's love? Is it the feelings of guilt? Do I need to feel guilty over sin? Is that a part of uh, being a Christian? Number two, why do so many easily leave Christianity? Why is it that so many will come in, profess it, and then leave? Is it that they have the real deal? What is what is? Uh, What's going on there? Why do they fall to the desires of the flesh? And number three, what is the proof to the world that Christianity is true? What does it mean to be a Christian? Why do so many people leave Christianity? And number three, what is the proof to the world that Christianity is true? You know, and we know that many in the church across America and even in the world are pretending to be Christians. And The Bible is very clear about that. That some will be false falsehoods among us, false prophets among us. There will be uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. We we know that Jesus, even Jesus' day, he, even on one of His own would fall away of the twelve. We know that that that's part of it. But but we, I wonder why uh, in the American church, where we have such a great heritage of faith, is the church so weak? Is it because? No doubt that we, we have allowed the world's movies and entertainment and social media and, and all these things to crowd us that we're so filled with worldly things. It's hard to be holy. Uh, it's harder to be holy today than it's ever been probably in the history of the world because of media and, and these little cell phone things that we hold. And we're so inundated with things and busyness and, and, and going for material things and desires that we don't even know anymore anymore. What it's like, so many Christians, to experience the holiness of God and to know it. And, but is it the standards? Christianity is not religiosity. Christianity is not the do's and don'ts. Christianity is no more the tithing and the coming to church and the routine than it is of the emotions. Christianity is not the emotions of feeling something in worship, it's not the emotions of feeling guilt, it's not the emotions of feeling joy, no more than it is Christianity, uh, the people who feel like, well, God has saved me by grace, and I can do what I want, and follow, and feel okay to, to follow my carnal desires, it, none of those things are Christianity, but I believe the world, and I believe heaven is wanting a people in these last days that the world could see this is the real deal, and you can write this down, the proof of your Christianity is your life. The proof of your Christianity is your life. I remember um, I grew up in church my whole life. My mom and dad, my dad was a a heathen and he had converted radically as a young person and he decided to raise my family in, in church and he had an abusive father and all of that and alcoholic father and found my mother, and they got into church and were committed from day, from day one of their marriage. And so I got raised in church. Uh, I was very religious, and I didn't really understand it all, and I was fearful of the emotional part. And But one day, God got a hold of me, and I experienced God in a tangible way. And from that moment on, there was this sense <clears throat> that God was no longer a logical argument it was no longer a religious thing that I did, but I sensed God in a way after that moment than I, than I ever had before. And it was like no one could tell me any longer that God was not real because I felt Him, tangibly felt Him on the inside of me. And there was such a passion and a burning from that moment on that I began to dive into Scripture and attend service I uh, went off to college, and no one made me go to church anymore. All that was gone. But there was this desire as a young person to just go in. I began to buy books off of uh, online and buy books and buy what is the Holy Spirit. And no one taught me. It was just this this hunger to get all of him in that I could. And, man, I was making mistakes. I had uh, sin issues. I had anxiety issues. I had pride issues. I had lust issues. I had all those things. But yet there was still this this something, I can't even explain it. There was just this excitement for God that I was being bolder than I've ever been bolder, praying more than I ever prayed, reading more than I ever read, being a part of the church more than I ever went apart, went to missions trips and because there was something new. How many people know what I'm talking about? There's this something exciting, something new that I experienced. And Henry Skogel wrote in his book, he said, Real Christianity is the union of the soul with God. It is what Paul says, Christ formed in us. I just want to give you three brief things tonight before we go into prayer. Of what is this thing? And he called it the divine life. We'll call it sometimes the indwelling of the Spirit. Paul calls it Christ formed in us. But it's this divine life. Union where God is in us. It's not religion. It's not emotion. It's not of the flesh. It is something heavenly where we experience God living on the inside. And number one, I'm going to give you three quick things. Number one, what is this divine life? Number one, it is constant. It's constant. Uh, it's, it's this eternal and stable thing. It's not something that, that just comes and goes. Now, we know as, as believers that we'll have ups, we'll have downs, we'll have times where God seems to just be moving us at a fast pace, and it's like a fire burning, and then we have other times where we feel weak and weary and, and dry, like we're going through a wilderness. But it always, it's always living. It doesn't just ping-pong with us. Uh, I worry about those that come and get saved and go away and come and get saved and go away because I worry that you haven't really had the real thing that the, that the divine life it's it's like a baby it 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 grows at rapid rates at early times but then you have to learn how to maintain and continue to grow but that baby doesn't die, get born again, die, get born again. what kind of weird thing would that be right? Uh, it's like, my child would just be getting raised from the dead every couple of weeks after elementary school. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it's this born-again relationship with God, and I may not always feel good. I may not always feel on fire, but I'm still alive. There's, he's always there. He's always on the inside. I'm not saying you can't uh, uh, have those times or people can't walk away from God, but it's not designed to be this thing that comes and goes. It is designed to be something that grows and produces things in our life. For instance, it's not just a motivation or a conviction. The, the This divine life does not happen just because I come and I get convicted after a sermon or someone challenges me and I feel good because I watch this sad video of kids in Africa or, or comes and yells at me about my sin and I weep a few moments and I feel bad. That's not... The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is is the newness of God living on the inside. It's something beyond. It does involve emotions. It does involve your dominate or your doctrine. It does involve those things, and and all those are a part. But that is not it in itself. It is the 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 living, uh, constant, abiding presence of God. It can go fast and slow, but it's always alive. For instance, like when Luke. Chapter 8, Jesus says, you know, this is the parable of the the sower. And he says, this is the word of God, this seed. And some of those who have heard, the devil comes and takes it away. And they don't believe, and and they're not saved. And he says, some falls on a rocky soil, and, and they receive it with joy, but they don't have a firm root, and they believe for a while. But then temptation comes, and they fall away. And some are thorns The seed is put down, but thorns come, and that's the things of the world that chokes it out, and worries, and riches, and pleasures, and they have no fruit, no maturity, and they eventually are done away with. But there's this good soil, and the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, he says, they hold it fast, they bear fruit with perseverance. You see, the seed never changes, But when the the gospel seed is put in a heart that that is good soil, that's ready to be uh, tilled up and done away with the things of the world, and it's ready to receive it in fullness, that seed always grows into what it's supposed to be. An apple seed, if planted in soil, will always be an apple tree and produce apples. That's what it's designed to do. And the new life that God gives you is designed to be constant, eternal life stable, steadfast and productive that's what it's designed to do it is who he is and he is not there to make you feel like you're saved one day and not saved the next he's not there to come and to go and to feel like oh I don't know if I'm with God today or not when you're with God you're with God he never leaves you, he never forsakes you there's nothing that can separate you from his love he is always there it's up to you and to me to abide in him that's what Jesus' challenges. We are the soil, right? So number one, it's constant. It should be constant, eternal and stable. Number two, this divine life is not forced on us. It's free. Scogel says it's this unforced behavior. For instance, I'm not good or generous because I have to be. I'm not good or generous because I even uh, willfully, religiously choose to be. Oh, yeah, that's part of it. I have to surrender to God. But it's not threatened upon me. If you're threatened to give, if you're threatened to stop cussing, if you're threatened because I don't want to go to hell uh, or I want to be, you know, number one leader on the board of some Christian club, or I don't know, if you want to feel good about yourself so you give and tithe, that's not the new life. If you want to serve because it makes you feel good about yourself, that's not the new life. Or it makes you get good reputation, or it makes you look like you're doing good, or you you dress a certain way, so that makes you feel like you're a better Christian. All of those things. It's not guilt. It's not good works. Christianity can't be forced on anyone. That's why so many people come in to very religious and ritualistic churches and they have all these measures and they feel like if I just achieve all these measures, then I'll have attained it. And guess what? Troubles come, trials come, you never never make it, you don't feel like you live up on the inside, and what happens? You're back where you were, back out on the street. Why? Because you probably didn't experience the full new life to begin with. Because no one has to make you do anything. Nobody makes me read my Bible. Nobody makes me pray. Nobody makes me give. Nobody makes me do this job. I might want a paycheck every now and then, but that's, that doesn't mean I have to have this job. I could go do anything else, right? That, that you, no one makes you not cuss secretly. No one makes you turn those movies off when nobody's around. Nobody's gonna, you have to have a divine life on the inside that is drawing you Closer to God and saying, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to say that. And those convicting feelings come over you. It's not because someone's going to find out. It's because you want to please God. The Holy Spirit inside of you, He aches, He yearns, He longs to be with God, He longs for you to be like Him. That's what He longs for. Those religious things, the law of works is only good to a point. He says, those who are compelled by religion will only do the bare minimum, and then they'll complain about it. I love that. They'll only do the bare minimum, and then they'll complain about it. Oh, I had to help the church do this. Oh, I had to give up my time to go do that. Oh, I had to go cook for the church. Oh, I had to go clean. Oh, I stayed late and did this. Or, oh, I had to do that. Or, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I had to help so-and-so. That's not the new life. That's not what this is all about. It's That's religion. That's that you felt like you had to because of religious works. But new life makes you feel good on the inside. I got to. I want to. I loved to do those things. That's the new life. It says those who have given themselves completely to God will never think they do too much for Him. I love that. I can never think I'll serve God enough. I've been saved from hell and sin and shame and all the things I've done and thought, I can never think I could love and do things for God enough. And, and my joy is then to serve him, right? It's not under compulsion. We do good works because we're born again. We enjoy loving others because God's love's in us. If we're born into God, uh, 1 John says we're not going to even make the habit of willful sin. We don't like to sin. And it's not... And, and yes, we all make mistakes. And he says, but yes, guess what? we got a, a Christ, a Savior we can go uh, before. And He casts, His perfect love casts out all fear of guilt and condemnation. Even when you mess up, His perfect love casts out the fear of that rejection. It says, Lord, I'm so sorry I messed up my will. Let my will match your well, I know that your Holy Spirit in me doesn't want to sin. And so it's not that I'm, I'm trying harder. This is what people get wrong in Christianity. You can't try harder. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. Whoops. It's true. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. But the Holy Spirit in me longs for me to be like Christ. And the more I'm in his will, the more I'll do good things. But if I try to be a better Christian on my own, if I try to stop drinking, if I try to stop drugs, if I try to stop pornography, I will only go so far, then I will stop. It doesn't work. I can't do it. That's the point. You can't do it. So you repent. Lord, forgive me. I fail. I fall short of the glory of God. I'm weak. I'm weary. I'm undone. I can't do it. Holy Spirit, you have to do it. In me and through me. And this is why so many fall repeatedly. Is that they think if their efforts will match some of God's efforts. And they can help God out. Okay God I know you saved me. I'll try harder. God I know you saved me. I'll stop doing that. No you won't. Because you can't. We on our own we're depraved. We're impossible of doing good. The flesh Paul says cannot please God. It's impossible for you to do the will of the Lord. The only person who can do the will of the Lord is the Holy Spirit, and he has to live in you. And he has to please God through you. This is Christianity 101, guys. It's the born, it's not forced. Look in Galatians 5.18. This is kind of where Paul talks about it. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, if you're led by the Spirit, you're, you're not compelled by religion to do good things. That's the law, religious stuff, Right? He says, if you're born and led by the Spirit, you're not going to be under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. You're going to know. You're going to know what the bad things in your life are. They're immor- He gives some examples. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, caressing. That's wild parties. And these things which I've warned you about, just as I've forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People thought, they said, Paul... Paul, Paul, if we don't have rules, Paul, if we don't have rules, how will we know what's good and bad? Paul, if we don't have rules, how are we going to teach new believers not to do certain things? And he says, guys, I've warned you about the evidence of the flesh. You know when the flesh is in control. And here's some examples. Look at them. There's some examples. He says, guys, you know, this is the evidence of the flesh. There are things like this. But then he says, but guys, you don't have to have rules Because what you are, rules never saved anyone. The law only went so far. Then Christ had to come. Because what he wanted to do in Ezekiel is put something inside of you. Write the law of God on your heart through the Holy Spirit. And he says, guys, when you are of the Spirit, verse 22, but the fruit, the production, the result of the Spirit in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no religious law for these things. Your religious works will never produce love, joy, peace, self-control. He says that is only possible when the Holy Spirit comes in and you surrender to His working inside of you. So the, the, this divine life, number one, it's constant. Number two, it is not forced. There is no law. There is no religious rules that will produce these things. I don't care if you're a leadership, a board member, if you're not loving, if you're not in self-control, if you're not producing kindness and gentleness, if we don't have a, a guard on our tongue, if we're not compassionate, then we have done this thing out of our own ability. We might as well just go to some lodge or some club and just say that's who we are. We're good, moral, upstanding people by our own efforts. But it's not the divine nature that is always constant, flowing in him, and sensing, Oh, Lord, I, didn't, I shouldn't have said that. God, I feel your Holy Spirit drawing me to go apologize to that person. And I, I want to please you, so I'll humble myself and I'll go do that. That's the divine nature inside of us. Number three, it's a gift. It's constant. Number two, it's force. Number three, it's a gift. The divine life is the Holy Spirit living within us. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians said it's a gift, not a result of works. Otherwise, we'd boast about it. John 1 says that it was not born of the will of man and our own efforts, but it was born of God. It was born of the will of God. It was that born again. Jesus said... Unless we're born again, and that's like a mystery of the Spirit. It's like the wind coming and going. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. It's the Holy Spirit comes in a person, and you see the effects of it. I can't explain it to you. I can't tell you how to get it, other than repenting and having faith, and then something supernatural, mysterious from heaven should happen in your life that you know that you know the wind of the Holy Spirit has blown through me. Only you can tell me. Only you can identify that you have the real deal. And then we'll see the results of it because your life will be blowing and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll we'll see the effects of God on your life that is not from your works, but from God's work. So it's a gift. The natural life, our flesh, is self-loving. It follows appetites. It seeks pride. It seeks lust. It seeks its own ambition. It seeks to build itself up. It talks about itself a lot. It does things for itself a lot. And it can do that in the church. It can, it, can, it can get involved in good charities. You can go to the Peace Corps, the Salvation Army. You can feel good about yourself because you give half a million dollars away a year. But that's still not the born-again life. It is a gift. And just like I can't create new life... God has to do it inside of me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 says, In a reference to your old manner of life, lay aside that old self which is corrupted according with the lusts of deceit, and that you would be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self which is in the likeness of God, having been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. It's not try harder. It's not, oh, i got to do more so God loves me and God's going to help me it's totally the opposite. It's saying, God, I totally surrender. And I'm even to the point in my life where I say, God, I can't hardly fight this old man any longer. And God, I don't even know if I can crucify the spirit or the flesh in me. God, I I, I have a trouble just crucifying the flesh in me. Would you help me crucify the flesh in me? And I pray that all the time. Lord, crucify the flesh in me. God, I know I'm supposed to do it, but Lord, I fall short even to do that. And I need you to help me stop thinking this way, stop doing that thing, God. Start feeling this way, God. Crucify the desires, God. If I'm not supposed to like these shows, God, make me not like these shows. God, if I'm not supposed to be, spend my time doing all this, God, take it away. I don't want to do that. Lord, I, that, can I could just get lost in God and be the real deal at home, at work, here at church, on the street, at the post office, at Walmart, and just say, God, am I just so full of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that I just, I don't want to be Heath Harris anymore, He's a horrible person. You don't even know what the things he thinks. I don't like him. I haven't liked him for a long time. And I want to be who God has newly created me to be. I find it funny that the world is, and I, and I believe this to a degree, the world's all about love yourself, and, and that's true when you're in God. But I really don't love myself. That's that new pop psychology. I do think you have to have a good self-image in Christ. I believe in that. But at the same time I also know that I have to realize I'm a horrible person apart from Christ. And I don't like the way I think when he's not around. And and I want to say, Lord, I need a gift. And the Bible says in Luke that if you would just ask the holy S- God ask God the Father, he loves to give good gifts. He loves to give and the best gift he loves to give is his Holy Spirit because his son died so you could have more of his spirit. That's the whole point of Jesus dying, not just to save you from hell, but that you would have the Holy Spirit living in you and through you. That you would not be yourself any longer, but Christ would live in you. That's salvation. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So what is the proof of your Christian life? Maybe today there's worldly things that are affecting your holiness. I find myself so crowded by the things of the world in my mind. So much entertainment we watch. We begin to get fuzzy on what's right, what's wrong. We, we get so many thoughts in our minds. You close your eyes and all the thoughts of things. You dream things about movies you just watch. And we just do. We, we're so full of images and so full of words and music. We're just so full of the world. That's why I love that we're going to do this fast next week, that we just say, God, can I just still my mind and say, Lord, can the divine life, the Holy Spirit just... Be in me. Can I breathe you in, Holy Spirit, again, and just be so full of you and say, God, this world is going to fade. It's going to pass away. That none of this stuff matters. And that, Lord, maybe I need to remove some things from my life that I could get more in tune, more in touch with the divine nature that's supposed to live within me. And, And tonight, I want us to pray three things. I think we have it on the slide, the next slide, is that I want us to pray. Number one, Lord, forgive me if I've been doing things on my own. I've been trying to be a Christian on my own by my own efforts and own works. I've been singing songs of worship on my own. I've been going to church on my own. I've been paying my tithes on my own. I've been serving on my own and my own ability. And maybe it's been more of the flesh than the Holy Spirit. Maybe maybe not. you're not even supposed to be doing what you're doing. Maybe God's been trying to get you to do something else. And so, Lord, forgive us. And then, number two, Lord, restore to us the desire for holiness. God, that I want the nature of God inside of me. And, and that He would tell me what is good and what is right. And number three, I want the divine life to rule me. I want God to just be so uh, in control that he, His spirit is more strong than my flesh and that He would be giving me strength that I didn't have on my own. And I want us just to go to prayer tonight and say, God, let, this be, let me be the real deal.